Hi, hi, hi. You're listening to the Fade to Play Network. All right. <laughs> we invite people of all backgrounds to share their stories. Their nuanced conversations and forward thinking and not taking ourselves too seriously. Everyone's story matters. Every voice is important. Life is Ooh, polarizing, so but not everything is black and white. Come join us as we fade to gray. Woo-hoo! What is up, everybody? Today, we've got a very special guest on. Uh, actually, she's a huge friend of the podcast. She's been around for a couple years with Fade to Gray. Uh, I got to meet her in person. We all did a couple years ago uh, at the Bad Christian Conference. And um, she started her own podcast about a year ago. I think it's been about a year. Is that right, Kara? Very close. Yeah, in yeah. March. Okay, cool. Yeah, called The Conquest of Bliss. Uh, all about, of course, finding happiness. I'll let her explain all about that here in a little bit. Uh, but this is a long time uh, overdue. And Kara, <laughs> we're so excited to finally have you on uh, the Fade to Gray podcast to get your story and talk to you. And and uh, yeah, just to let people know who you are. Of course, most everyone in our community does. But uh, anyway, welcome. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I was going to say, <laughs> What's happening? <laughs> I mean, no, that, I, that was like a club saying, you know, you're like, welcome, welcome, you know. <laughs> um, thank you for that brilliant introduction. Um, I'm also super stoked. Like you said, this has been a long time coming, and I have been like, I like, I've, you know, I know the etiquette is not to be like, yeah, when am I going to be on your podcast? But I've been sending it to you <laughs> mentally for a long time. Well, we finally picked Passive up aggressive. on it. I think maybe our uh, our friendly uh, psychic PK Langley helped us tune into that. So uh, <laughs> so, anyways, we're 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 definitely excited to have you on. And um, you know, as with every single guest that we have, we always like to start out with your story. Um, and you know, we obviously know a little bit more about you than we're going to let on because you know not everyone know, uh, knows actually. Um, but uh, you know, being as detailed as you want to, uh, tell us about your beginnings. Oh gosh. When were you um, hatched? 31 <laughs> years ago in a small, <laughs> small town in uh, northern British Columbia, which is a province in BC, which is similar to a state. No, I'm just kidding. I know you guys know that. Similar to a state, but just not as great, right? Okay, keep going. No, actually, they're much greater um, in, in both size and awesomeness. Um, Perfect answer. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so I was, I, I was grown up. I, I was, yeah, I was grown up in a small town um, in northern BC. I almost said California. Fuck, man. Um, oh, oh, I'm sorry. Is it okay to cuss? I, I oh, heck yes. Yeah. Okay. yeah. <laughs> oh, heck yes, it is. Well, actually, that's the, uh, check that's that off the podcast. list. I was going to say, can we get the uh, Canadian yes. to cuss? So, yay. That's, that's right. One. It's really not challenging. Honestly, we have like, <laughs> s- like, um, do you guys remember? Oh, were you part of that conversation about fuck all? Oh, you know what? Doesn't matter. Uh, born in McKenzie. <laughs> um, lived there till I was 14. Um, so was raised in the church, um, church uh, school, like a, like private school, Sunday school all the time, part of the youth group. I used to travel the province teaching the good w- w- word um, <laughs> via skits and music. It was, it was. Yay. <laughs> How old were you when you're doing it's that? Okay. Uh, probably between 10 and 14. Um, so not very old. Cause it was about 14 
Well, between 12 and 14, then I started to rebel. I mean, started smoking pot when I was 12 Oof. Um, and, and binge drinking, but I didn't do any like, you know, real drugs until I was 14. Um, <clears throat> I'm just going to go over it really quickly because I have no idea what's interesting and y'all can. Uh, okay. Well, hold on, hold on. So <laughs> I, I, I'm still like, you were, you were like basically street evangelizing at 12, between 12 and 14 right. while, you, while you were smoking As part of weed. the group. Um, well, they didn't. They didn't know I was smoking weed. <laughs> well, what, what, church, what church organization were you a part of? In the, like, um, it was a non-denominational church, but they were very um, like, like they had like evangelists and stuff come in. Like, I don't know if you know who Todd Bentley is. Oh yeah. Um, he's that, dude, he's that dude that's having that huge revival down in Florida and, and fucking all those chicks and got caught. <laughs> that sounds true. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yeah, so it was just part of the youth group and it was really all I knew, um, at that point. And then of course, I, well, not of course, I always say of course, when it's not an obvious thing. Um, but when it's I was obvious to you, when, yeah, yeah, exactly. Of course, when I was 10, they put me in public school. Of course. Now that's what they do, right? <laughs> um, so you were homeschooled school. up until that point? Uh, no, I went oh, no. to a private, private Christian school. school. So we used the, Sorry. the ACE, um, I, uh, the Christian accelerated Christian education, little workbook things. Mm -hmm. um, How many macaroni necklaces did you make? <laughs> enough to feed an army. Uh, <laughs> 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 and then, yeah. And then I went to public school and um, this thing I think is, of course, of course they bullied me really, really badly. And so like I rebelled and everything. And then I started smoking pot because of course in BC, oh, there it is again. Uh, you notice it so more when so much more when you start recording how much you repeat the same phrases it's really frustrating mine's obviously um, but you just gotta, yeah, keep, talk, yeah. you just gotta <laughs> keep talking don't worry about it Let people scream at you later. but fair um yeah so i went to public school and then i got bullied and marijuana became available and then drinking became available and so i started drinking and stuff and then we ended up moving from mckenzie when i was 14 um there was some really confusing, hard to explain even now trauma that happened right before I moved. And then we moved and then my parents sent me to Missouri, um, basically as a consequence of my reactions to this trauma. Although of course they didn't see it that way at the time. And so they sent me to Missouri to live with these people that they met on the internet actually. And in 2004, there was no video chat. So like, you know, just typing and stuff, which was really traumatic as well. And then when I then? came- at, at this point, Sorry? how 14. old are you at this point in the story? Okay, 14. So, so, so two years into your, your drinking and your drugging and yeah. your, your parents suggest or suggestion was, or solution, I guess would be to send you to the States. Was that something else that was like a religious sort of answer? Is that what, uh, what made the, what made them qualified to take a 14 year old girl from Canada into their home? Well, realistically, nothing. Um, made them qualified to do that. Um, now, Sheila, to be very clear, these are wonderful people, and it's very lucky that it didn't go badly. Yeah. Um, I mean, going to another <laughs> country. I mean, just, how did your parents um, know these people? Uh, they they met on Pogo Games. Um, what? Pogo Games? <laughs> okay, like I said, wow. Did they, did the they people lose it there? there are really, really wonderful. <laughs> but, you know, my parents were just doing the best they could. I know that now. Well, hold on um, just a second. Okay. All right. All right. All right. You're going 90 <laughs> to nothing. Just a second. Okay. You're 14 and something traumatic happens. Mm -hmm. What was the trauma? 
sent away well, to compli- America. Okay. No, 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 so, she was she said something happened before that. Okay, so before if you're we willing went, to share it. I am. It's it's complicated and confusing and um but yes. So <clears throat> When I was 14, so like I said, I'd started drinking and stuff when I was 12, I was smoking pot. So um, my brother, who was also bullied really badly, um, decided to have a party while my parents were out of town and my other brother was out of town and he decided to have this party, but nobody actually liked him. So people really kind of abused that situation, right? Um, as as teenagers do. And uh, there was this, this guy at the party and I think he was 19, but he might've been 18. Um, and he gave me a bunch of mushrooms and then took me back to his house. And um, I actually blacked out a lot of what happened. I don't really know, but my journal had said that he had forced me to have intercourse with him. Whether or not that's actually true, I I can't say for sure. But following that, um, basically as it does when you're that age, it got out and, and the town kind of split about whether or not that was accurate and then the cops got involved in all of this stuff and uh and again i'm 14 a virgin and have no idea if that even happened the the only things that i remember is i remember him trying to get me to suck his dick and i remember him not allowing me to leave now to his credit to be fair maybe that was because i was a 14 year old girl who's gonna walk by herself or maybe he was that guy i don't really know i i mean i don't really know yeah that must have been um, a really small town if it like split the town. I mean, people were yeah. talking about it like that. Jesus. Yeah, it turned into a really big thing. And I ended up getting a bunch of death threats and stuff like that before I left. Um, and, and again, I mean, at the time, I, I really didn't know how to handle it. But I don't know how I would handle that now. Right? Yeah. Like not even knowing what the truth is and not trying. Because like, I didn't tell everyone. You know, I confided, I confided in, a sing- <clears throat> in a single friend. And it ended up spreading like wildfire as that kind of thing. How long was it after the event that the cops actually got involved? Because it seems like it had to be a really small town if they didn't or like. It was it was a couple of days because it was once my family members got um, wind of the circumstances that I was forced to go talk to the cops. Right. Because my adult family members caught wind of it and were like, yeah, no. But of course, and this is, I think, and of course, is that, you know, even if it were sexual assault, 100 percent, which I can't really say you like after three days, people have showered, they've washed their clothes. Any sense of evidence that could have been there is gone. Right. So that didn't lead anywhere. It just made the whole social situation much, much worse. And my parents didn't. I mean, they didn't know how to handle that. They weren't equipped to do that. Therapy wasn't what it is today where, you know, people know to send children to therapy after trauma and stuff like that. So when we moved, I ended up getting involved in less um, stable people. You know, I didn't have any Christian types in my life. It was all people who wanted to party and who discouraged me from having a good relationship with my parents, if I'm being truthful. Now, the trauma and the way they reacted to it also escalated that situation. And my parents wanted to send me to boot camp couldn't afford to send me to boot camp and their alternative was to send me to missouri if you have any questions about that i can i can elaborate i just where is this boot camp they were wanting to send you to um i don't know i think just there's they looked at prices of of boot camp i don't really know so again i was 14 they're they're on pogo games and they're they're like yep this is the family i want to send my daughter to well like i said I don't even know what Pogo Games is. I mean, it sounds like they lost like in a gambling like card game or something. It's it's just a it's just like a gaming website that used to 
be really popular. They have word womp. It's really fun. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so let me get this straight. Cause I, I want to oh make sure that I'm being, you know, extremely sensitive to the subject, but you've got quite the conundrum here. Yeah. You've quite possibly been taken advantage of in a really horrible way, but you don't know for sure mm-hmm. what happened. Mm-hmm. And so that led of course, to your parents wanting to send you to a boot camp. It's almost like, are they victim blaming here? What are they doing? Um, I think, so I've talked to my mom about this a lot and I've talked to my dad about this a lot. And my dad has generally landed on, I was asking for it, even into adulthood. That's his belief. My mom's opinion has changed pretty dramatically. And basically she felt like she was between a rock and a hard place. Didn't, it didn't occur to her that I was reacting out of trauma and freaking out and having, you know, cause I mean, uh, like, it's, it's pretty scary when people are threatening your death and stuff for something, you sure. know, like that. And so um, as far as my mom was concerned, I was just rebelling. She didn't understand that it was a reaction to everything that had been going on, you know, when two short years before I'd been living the simple Christian life that had no access to any of this kind of stuff. Right. So were you being pretty rebellious against your parents at this time? Um, yeah. So yeah. Yes and no. Like, I mean, I spent a lot of time with my brothers partying and stuff. So I wasn't rebelling more than my brothers in the sense of putting myself in danger or anything like that. But I was like giving my parents a lot of attitude. Um, I was I was very angry with my parents for a lot of reasons. Um, and some of them more valid than others, you know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so what ended up happening is my parents felt that I'd gotten out of control. They weren't even factoring in what had happened. Hmm. Yeah, that's rough. Mm-hmm. So then how long were you in Missouri with this couple? Um, so it was a what couple did that and, look like? <laughs> it was a couple and three children. Um, were they the showalters? Mm. <laughs> they were not it's all coming together <laughs> um and they were they were christian a christian couple and they had three children um bethany's close to my age and we're actually really close um and what was the first part of the question about how the long were you there how long oh. were you there right yeah so i was there i three to four months okay I, I have a really hard time with specific dates and i just really struggle with it but i know i was there from early june until right before school started here so around september um so i don't know have exact dates but so they sent me they, they told me the night before i was leaving that i was going so i didn't you know have time to run away or whatever <clears throat> um and and what it looked like was like well it's it's really interesting because when i remember the experience versus when i try to like look at it, what it actually was they're two very different things um <laughs> like remembering the experience was very, very like sad and angry and like, this is garbage and I don't have anybody. And that's where I started smoking cigarettes was in Missouri because like I couldn't get a hold of pot or cigars or anything, but the family smoked. So I would steal their cigarettes and go on these long walks down these like ridiculous, what in my brain are really like long dusty roads, but I don't really know if it actually even looks like that or how much of it was like, um, influenced by the feelings that I was having but when I look back now like they were so welcoming they were so kind they bought craft dinner because they heard Canadians like craft dinner you know (laughs) stuff like that like like macaroni and cheese yeah yeah I I do not like craft dinner I like real macaroni and cheese but gotcha okay (laughs) but we are all raised on craft dinner so (laughs) so you were there for three months 
Did you like uh, syrup? Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, I just had a maple syrup joke. That's all. <laughs> I live for maple syrup. <laughs> Naturally. <laughs> um, the, the thing about the three months, though, that I forgot to add that made it um, especially interesting was that when my parents sent me, they didn't have the money to bring me back. And they kept telling me that they didn't know when they would be able to bring me back. So those three months felt like infinity because it wasn't like you'll be coming home for school. They, they were talking about putting me in school in Missouri and all this stuff. So just worth gotcha. noting. Yeah. And so during your time in Missouri, did you, I guess, have any sort of cathartic experiences that made you want to go home and behave? Um, quite the opposite. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> my time in Missouri made me extremely bitter sure and extremely um like pretty easy to see for me that that's where my abandonment issues really started and my time in missouri like if anything it was like anti-progress because it hardened me and it made me it made me want to be a bitch and push everyone away and especially my parents like it took a very long time to heal the relationship with my mom um and like i mean I remember doing some really stupid stuff in Missouri, but I didn't learn anything from it. When I came back was when I started doing um, MDMA and ecstasy and harder and harder drugs, which eventually, as you guys know, led me to smoking crack, right? So. Well, let's get into that then. Um, <laughs> I mean, I know it's the dark time in your life and you probably, you know, have blackout memories, you know, where you can't really figure quite figure what happened out, but like, how long were you involved in those types of drugs? Like, like crack? Yeah. Or cocaine or both? Yeah. Okay. So uh, Omar, you look like you want to say something. No, I was just debating. Oh. <laughs> we have a lot of listeners in Missouri, so I was going to keep all my jokes to myself. <laughs> I was going to say, how bad could, uh, right. Your... I, there, there, there are some easy jokes here, <laughs> she... but, <laughs> and, and thank my, you so, so much for being, be she's uh... from Canada and you know, how, how rebellious could she have been? Like, mom, you're such a bitch. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> I apologize for I'm everything. Hey, <laughs> uh, but no, thank you so much for oh so gosh. far being vulnerable. I know we're going to get into some more stuff, talk about, you know, the drug use and addiction and stuff like that, but um i'm learning things about your story that i didn't know too and um just thank you for sharing it's uh anytime someone's talking about you know being 14 years old and in that situation i mean you're a victim no matter what happened i mean like i mean everything you're describing like it's none of that is your fault so that's um and to have to you know to, to this day your dad still you know holding that stance it's just having three daughters it blows my mind like how how any man could say that to, to you. So that's ridiculous. Well, thank you for your very kind words. Um, yeah, my dad and I have a very, he, he's a unique man. Um, and uh, to to the comment about victimhood. So I agree that I- Just Hang on, hang on. Is that the Canadian way of saying your dad's an asshole? <laughs> <laughs> it may be. Okay, keep going. <laughs> I was just <laughs> interpreting that. <laughs> Um, but, uh, to the comment on victimhood, what's really interesting that I've been thinking about lately, especially is that like, I agree that I was the victim of those situations, but I, you know, and I know you guys know this cause I know how y'all roll, but 
it's it's so interesting that like I finally was able to put to words that like you can be a victim situationally without identifying as a victim, you know, as a part of like as part of your identity. And anyways, yeah. thought that was interesting. Um, but yeah, and and I mean, honestly, I agree with you. You know, none of this is my fault. And any of it is other people's faults, too. They can't change if they want to. So, you know, yeah, what you going to do? Yeah. I mean, it, it doesn't have to be necessarily a defining moment, but it's still something that, that happens. You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. um, and it seems like the things afterwards were more defining anyway, as, as you're telling the story. I mean, like, yeah, I mean, it's still trauma. It's a trauma, but it's like a continuation of trauma, the way like things just piled on to all of a sudden you're getting shipped off to misery. So (laughs) 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 where nobody comes back to the same. I really related to that Maroon 5 song. (laughs) Like um, the, I live in Missouri. Um, (laughs) <laughs> but anyways, I I got um got off track. What happened? No, I'm not, okay. So not so you so. came home. And you we were asking you about your your progression into drugs then, because I'm I'm sure like you went from coming home to Missouri and then you didn't all of a sudden start doing cocaine. There was progression there. Very so, rapid progression, but yeah. So <laughs> oh, okay, um, talk us through the progression. <laughs> well, basically, so like I came back and. Um, it was like very, very end of the summer, right before school started, like I said, and we all decided that we wanted to try um, M- uh, ecstasy, which was not, it's not MDMA. It's like this shit press of random drugs with a highlight of MDMA, but. Um, smack, basically. Pardon? It's smack, basically. Speed. A lot of. Well, like, some of it's, yeah. some of it's speed. It's see, and it's a little bit different, I think, on the West Coast than the East Coast. Because I had this conversation with some of my friends in Montreal when I was in rehab about you know speed versus meth and and the names of drugs in different places but basically this is a pressed pill that is it's got mdma in it for sure it's a very similar euphoric thing and then it's got whatever other cheap drugs to fill it and then it's pressed into a colored cap if you guys call that smack well i mean that's yeah i mean the combination of whatever they're mixing it with with the mdma but yeah yeah so so we eventually um we started doing it, started doing it. And then eventually a couple friends and I, um, one of them got cocaine and they're like, we want to try cocaine. And this is when I say eventually, I mean like a couple months, probably. So you're 15? Um, yeah, I would have been about 15. So I was 14 okay. when I started doing MDMA right when I got back, turned 15 in October. And in October was when I started, like, or maybe November, like in that time frame was when I tried cocaine. And once I tried it, I started using it more and more all the time. Um, mostly weekends and stuff. I was working lots of different jobs, but I think three jobs at one point, but I don't know if that was during the cocaine or the crack. Um, and then I first tried crack when I was 16, um, but didn't get into it. And then I later, guess I know the difference between cocaine and crack. Oh, I, I can tell you the difference between cocaine, cocaine and crack. Uh, <laughs> okay <laughs> <different>. so <clears throat> cocaine is a uh, product of the coca plant um so it's extracted and and refined into cocaine which is a powder that you can snort you can technically eat you can mix it with oh i don't know what you mix it with but you can inject it or um you can technically smoke it but it's not really a smoking drug like you're not really going to get the um I don't want to say benefits because that's not really the right word. The full effect. Effects. <laughs> um, the <laughs> same way when you're smoking it. Whereas crack is, you can technically, like you, you, 
you can't really snort crack. Like I wouldn't snort crack. So what crack is, is it's cocaine mixed with either ammonia or shit. Uh, baking, baking powder? soda, baking powder. Baking yeah. soda. <laughs> um, One of those. <laughs> and, and it turns it into like a rock form and it is smokable at that point. And usually people smoke crack. Occasionally people will inject crack, but usually you would smoke crack and you use like a tube. Um, and I don't know how much you know about concentrates for, for marijuana, but it's kind of similar to shattering that you would melt it um, in order, like, like, you know, with shatter, you need, if you're using like a bong or something, you need like ash or something to hold it. Same thing with crack. It'll just turn into a liquid as you smoke it. So you need something to hold it. So that's why they use um, Brillo, which is like that metal webby stuff. And they shove that into the tube. And then that way, as it runs down, it still stays enough so that you can get the whole hit when you smoke it. I had to go check on the kids and came back and we're doing a crack tutorial. (laughs) (laughs) Chris Chris needed to learn about crack. I just didn't. Yeah, I didn't know the difference between crack and cocaine. And so she she's just uh, helping me out there. So bacon different, so, different types so of high main difference. <laughs> yeah. Well, you can use ammonia too, if you're free basing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Great. <laughs> um, but I haven't done that in a long time. <laughs> uh, I feel so awkward. Look how red my face is. Um, <laughs> oh, you're fine. It's okay. It's okay. Keep going. Um, we found your one weird thing for the episode. Keep going. <laughs> Give you detailed descriptions of crack. Um, <laughs> but, uh, and then, yeah, so when I was um, a little bit later into being 16, my, uh, my uncle actually um, was living in our house and he was smoking crack and he offered me to smoke some. And, and of course, there's that whole authority thing and wanting to. And he was my favorite uncle growing up, um, which... Uh, and he's dead now. Um, and I've talked to my mom about it before and she's cool with me talking about it publicly. Um, it's her brother. <clears throat> um, but yeah, so my uncle offered me some crack and uh, he's like, hey, Kara, want to hoot? I remember very specifically, he was standing right outside the uh, thing and I was like, oh, okay. And then he would offer it to me regularly. And before I knew it, I was smoking crack every day. And um, I think the reason that he wanted to get me in on it with him was because it was cheaper and also ultimately I found out that he was lusting after me. Oh my god. Um yay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fun times. I do not like my teenage years very much. Um <laughs> and uh yeah, so that's the story of me smoking crack and then when I was 18 or maybe late 17. So I wasn't even on it for that long, but I was pretty addicted. I was like looking on the floor for rocks and stuff, like pretty severely into it. Um, although nobody knew, everyone thought I was just a cokehead, um, except for my uncle. Um, and then, yeah, so when I was late 17, early 18, I went to my drug and alcohol counselor and I said, I need to go to rehab and I need it to be far away because every time I'd gone to try to a detox or anything like that locally, I would just manipulate my mom into coming and picking me up. And, uh, you know, because my mom, you know, felt really guilty for a lot of the shit that I'd been through. And so she would come and pick me up every time. And I was like, I need to get away from the opportunity to be enabled. And so I spent, you know, six months still using, um, getting into the program in Montreal. And uh, I smoked crack right before I got on the plane to Montreal. And that was the last time I've smoked crack. That was 13 years ago in a couple months. Yeah. Wow. Did your, real quick, did your uncle ever, um, Apologize. Like, 
apologize or make a pass at you to sh- oh oh two like, very different questions um yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I was thinking more long lines did he ever act on he tried his- yeah um yeah he asked me to have sex with him um yeah and uh yeah he, and he you tried were able to, but you were I, able I said to no and i just left no. yeah um yeah i mean i'm i'm grateful that when he tried he wasn't aggressive about it he was trying the whole manipulation side of things and not the threatening authority figure side of things. And I'm grateful because I definitely, especially as a teenager, was very, very susceptible to the idea of authority. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I'm grateful uh, that, that he didn't take that approach and that, he, I mean, it's still right. easy as fuck, yeah. right? But, but at least it, I didn't feel like I had to. Yeah. Yeah, that's important. Did your mom know about all of that when he um, was doing that? In, not until he died. No, I didn't tell her. Oh. I didn't tell her about any of that because I would have had to tell her that I was smoking crack, and then I would have had to like, because mm-hmm. he tried to get clean, and then he eventually did get clean. Um, he was clean for about I don't know six months before they diagnosed him with the lung cancer, and then within like six Oof. months, it metastasized to his brain, and he was dead. Wow. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. So. Yeah, pretty well. Wild. So when, by the time you went to yeah, by the time you went to uh, rehab in Montreal, had your uncle died at that point? Then no, no, he actually only died. Oh God, only like six or seven years ago. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. I, I understand that. Only I was thinking about that the other day with some people in my life who've died. Like yeah, it was last year. Nope, it was like six years ago. Yeah, um, yeah, that's so wild. How quickly like the time passes. Time flies. Yeah. So in Montreal, what was the name of your recovery program? Or your uh, it was called Portage, re- which means um, to carry a canoe over land. Ooh, it was French. Rivers. Yes. So, um, well, I was in an English program. Uh, it was in West Island, Montreal. So Beacons- Beaconsfield specifically. Um, but the program as a whole was a lot in French Canada. There was another one in Montreal for adults and then another one in Quebec, uh, Quebec City. And then I think another one in Nova Scotia, maybe. Um, but that one I think was probably English speaking. Yeah, Nova Scotia is beautiful, but there's no work there. But the houses are so cheap. Not that I ever think about that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, and the program was not 12-step based, interestingly enough. It was based hmm. on, um, like, military style um, principles. So not faith-based at all, either. N- no, no. Um, we did say the serenity prayer, but it was not faith-based mm-hmm. at all. They didn't talk about our faith. I mean, we could have gone to religious services or whatever if we'd wanted to. Um, There's a lot of Jewish people there, um, like a lot of Jewish pe- I met more Jewish people there than I have in the rest of my life combined. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So, so yours was specifically for teenagers. Uh, yeah. So it was, I okay. think, 13 to 18. Okay. Go ahead, Chris. Well, I was going to say you were what, how old? 16, 17 when you went? Uh, no, I, so it took about six months for me to get in. So I went when I was 18, just gotcha. turned. It was November, Jesus, November 21st. And then I returned on September 25th. So it was uh, nine months. Wow. Um, and it was so I was only there while I was 18. Yeah. And what was the program like? What, I mean, I know you said it was like militaristic, but like, what did they have you do? Um, okay. I'll try and give a quick, <laughs> there's so much to it. It's like trying to describe like a, like how does Harry Potter work really quickly, but um, <laughs> like it's a whole different world. But uh, so 
you go when you first start first three days you can smoke as many cigarettes as you want you can just wander around after the three days you become a new member and as a new member you don't really have any rights any of very few responsibilities and then you move into a medium member i don't remember the name of it um where you get responsibilities like rap and ramrod so ramrod would take care of the kitchen and cooking and rap would take care of what everything gets cleaned and then you become an older member um, and then you become part of like the leadership team and then eventually chief, which means that you're in charge of everyone there. And the only person with more authority than you is the staff. And then you leave. But the way that the day to day works is you wake up, you have to clean your particular area. So your bed has to be made with military corners, like bounce a quarter off of it kind of thing. Your full clothes have to be folded a specific way and everything has to be perfect. And then we clean the dorm areas and then we clean the whole building. No, no, no. Wait, sorry. Then we have breakfast and then we clean the whole building. And then you have either meetings or school, and then you would have lunch, clean the whole building again, meetings and, and or school again, dinner, clean the whole building again. Um, and so there's like a giant ass building. And then there's meetings in school and a combination of those. And then once a week, we could go to the gym. Um, and, you know, once a week, we had outdoor activities. There was no music except on weekends. I couldn't wear my hair down. I couldn't wear makeup. I couldn't wear a tight shirt and tight pants. I had to pick. Um, these are just the things (laughs) things that I can remember off the top of my head. Oh, four cigarettes a day. If you, if you smoked, um, and some of them, like it was on like a time crunch. So if you didn't clean up fast enough, you'd only be given like two minutes to smoke your cigarette, that kind of thing. Seems like they're doing kind of like a, an idle hands approach. Like if you have free time, you're going to want to, you know, get a fix or something. So let's just Um, fill up your entire day to where you're not really thinking about it. I I think that that's part of it. And I think that it also had to do with the fact that most of us that landed there were not taught life skills by our parents. Um, So learning things like how to properly clean, learning how to delegate tasks to other people when you're in a position of authority, all of these types of life skills that allow you to like work in the real world and stuff like that. um, I think that that was the big reason that they went that way. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, you went through rehab. (laughs) you're done with that did it sober you up right away did it work um you know that would depend on who you talk to (laughs) i uh, (laughs) um so i didn't do absolutely anything for the full year so it was a year clean off of pot and everything but cigarettes um alcohol i mean my 19th birthday so 19 is like 21 there um it's the the age of drinking legal drinking age um And my 19th birthday, um, we made a bustier pinata and had absolutely no alcohol whatsoever, which is unheard of in my culture (laughs) 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 and, uh, and stuff. And then about a year and a couple months in, I started smoking pot again. It was quite a while before I did anything harder than that again, probably another good year before I did mushrooms again, even. And I know that I just said hard as if mushrooms are fucking hard, but you know what I mean? (laughs) 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 Um, And then, uh, and then, yeah, eventually, you know, I, I started learning more about drugs as uh, like a function of, of like being a tool, you know, and just like a hammer can kill someone or it can build a house a drug can hurt you or it can help you to learn, right? And, and it's about responsible use, right? I, I mean, I'm a big believer that they should legalize all drugs, but that's a whole other thing. <laughs> we might need to go down that road, but keep going. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I, and at this point, 
I will, you know, if, if the situation's right and, and, you know, I'm prepared for it emotionally and everything, I will do MDMA or acid or mushrooms, um, smoke weed or drink. But other than that, I don't really have any interest in, in any other drugs. And I haven't done cocaine or crack in 13, over 13 years. Good. Yeah. Well, that's one thing that, you know, Omar and I have talked about quite a bit, uh, about the fact that we think that, um, you know, drugs should be legalized. But how do you, as someone who was addicted to doing crack or whatever, how do you reconcile that? Like, don't you think that that would make it easier for kids to get a hold of it or not? I want to hear from someone who's actually, you know, experienced hard drugs like that. You know, I, I, I agree with you. I think if you legalize it and make it, you know, more a medical thing as opposed to a punitive jail time thing, you're going to, you know, really help people out. But like as someone who has been addicted to that stuff, how is making it more accessible? Uh, how does that better? Ooh, I have so many thoughts. Okay. So <laughs> um, one thing before we get started that's worth noting when we have this conversation is I am not a libertarian in the same way that you are um, or were. Maybe you're not anymore. I don't know. But I'm a fucking socialist. Okay. So uh, <laughs> it's worth noting <clears throat> that, um, that, that when I talk about this, because I think that if we take away the black market, and spend the money that we've been spending fighting the black market on education, we're going to have a lot less issues with that. I also think that um, alcohol is less accessible to children than marijuana is because marijuana is available in the black market and alcohol generally isn't, right? So if we have stores or places like pharmacies, basically, um, recreational pharmacies or whatever, where you can get this and it has an age limit, it's actually less accessible to children than it is if it's available on the black market, right? Because responsible parents are going to put that stuff away where their kids can't access it or they're going to do their best. I know mistakes happen, but they're going to do their best. And the irresponsible parents would probably be a place for their kids to get it anyways. <laughs> if, if it's going to be in the house and, and like that legalization doesn't change how responsible the parent is with the handling of it. But by it being on the black market, it's way more accessible to children because the drug dealers are not responsible to take IDs in the same way that like say a liquor store is. Mm -hmm. So, and I also think, like I said, a lot of that money that they use to fight black market drugs and to fight addictions and stuff like that, if that was funneled into educating children on say, you know, the side effects of drugs, as well as what their potential medicinal uses are, I think that would go a long way in stopping children from using drugs. Because one of the reasons that I ended up using drugs is because I did it and felt like my parents lied to me by telling them they were me they were bad when I had so much fun. And I was like, obviously, this isn't bad. And obviously, you guys are fucking liars if you said that it's bad all the time. Right. Sorry, I ranted. <laughs> I got excited. Oh, you're good. You're good. <laughs> Yeah, no, that um, I think makes it's a sense. good perspective. Did you all have in Canada, like, for example, here in the States, we had this program called DARE. Uh, did you all have <laughs> anything like that? Drug abuse resistance education. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it did not help. No, no, it didn't. <laughs> and they pumped millions of dollars into that, you know? Yeah. And, and that's just it, is that, like, educating children on like reefer madness style propaganda about drugs is not going to fucking help because children are not as stupid as we like to pretend they are. <laughs> They're really not. <laughs> but you would take the same stance on all drugs too then and not, not just say the, 
recreational drugs like marijuana or mushrooms where um, some of the states um, in out west have kind of like opened up some of those doors. But um, you're talking about uh, even more of a deep dive into like what government fund heroin dens. Like how does that work out? Okay, so first of all, I'm not a politician, and that's probably good for everyone. But um, <laughs> I, I actually do think that it should be. Oh, there is water in there. Oh, sorry. Um, I actually do think that it, it, it should be all drugs um, because because I think the priority for me is eliminating the black market. And I also think it's worth noting that heroin, cocaine, um, all of those drugs have medicinal uses, and they were discovered and originally used medicinally. Um, and so. Yeah, I think that it should be made available, but I think that there should be a limit. I think that, you know, you go in and say it's heroin. Well, you can buy one point or whatever of heroin per day, you know, and just like the pharmacies have a system with how much you've withdrawn, you would use that system so that people, if they really want to abuse it, they can, but it's not easy to abuse. Do you think that that would kind of exacerbate itself, kind of like the opioid crisis has here? Do you think people would, maybe doctors would start prescribing heroin? Uh, to people and then they would get hooked on that? Well, doctors are already doing that. They're just doing it with ones that aren't considered schedule one. Right. Yeah. Um, so like, I don't think that it's going to, if anything, I think that it'll be safer because like the opioid crisis, I've lost of Santa Matt probably a dozen, maybe more people in the last five years to um, fentanyl yeah, well, overdoses. Yeah. Now, some of them, well, you know, I used to use a lot of drugs, so it's not really that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the, uh, some of them, were intentionally using fentanyl, but the vast majority of them, it was drugs that were cut, you know, whereas if they're regulated, if stores are made to, and I know, like, I know that regulation, regulation is common here. <laughs> so to me, it doesn't seem scary. And I know that the government is a little bit more sketch in other places and you don't necessarily trust them. But if they have systems in place where it needs to be X amount of purity in order to keep your license, I think that that would actually make the opioid crisis a lot less bad. Yeah. I don't know if I agree with you on governments being less sketch uh, in <laughs> Canada. I mean, didn't Trudeau uh, get caught doing blackface like five or 10 times? Well, number one, <laughs> yes. And I don't like Trudeau. Uh, <laughs> as a rule, I don't like Trudeau. He's done like two good things. Um, but uh, when I, when I say the government is less sketch, first of all, I'm not trying to say that Canada's government is without its problems. It's not. But what I mean is that there is a lot of systems within the systems meant to protect the people. And the government of Canada, above almost anything else, protects autonomy, right? Like it was the very last resort and they didn't even do it everywhere to make people wear masks. You know, um, we're allowed to prostitute. You're just not allowed to buy it. Um, I'm allowed to be high on anything and I can't be arrested for it unless I'm operating machinery. You know what? So I, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You can prostitute, but the person that's buying, it's the one that's going to get in trouble. Mm -hmm. I see. Okay. Yeah, Interesting. Yeah. So I could sell my body, <laughs> but the person who's, if they get caught, right. right. And I can't advertise it, but the, ultimately at the end of the day, the, the government is protecting the bodily autonomy of its citizens. Um, above everything else. And then, like I said, we have these fail safes and they don't always work. And corruption is still very much a thing in Canada. Sure. But the system is built for the people. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I find it interesting. I, I, I do agree that drugs should be legalized for the simple reason that, you know, you don't give someone who's sick 
prison time, you give them a doctor. And I feel like people who are addicted to crack cocaine or whatever uh, you want to call it, that term is probably not even a real term. Crack um, cocaine is a term. Yeah. Okay, good. They, <laughs> they would do better in rehab than they would be in a jail so where they now have a felony where they can't get a good job. And they also now have all these penalties that they have to pay. Um, you know, they're never going to get back on their feet again, most likely. Uh, or if they do, it's going to take a while, you know, unless of course you're Joe Biden's son. Uh, but anyway, um, I want to hear more about your podcast, the conquest of bliss. Let's talk a little bit about that. What is the purpose? I mean, the name kind of says it all, but, uh, what is the purpose of your podcast, the conquest of bliss? Oh, um, you know, <laughs> this is going to sound silly. But, oh, sorry. Omar, I couldn't hear you. you. Muted that was just the most Canadian thing you've said yet. Don't you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, don't you know? No, that's more. Don't you know. Wisconsin. <laughs> I really like my podcast, eh? Um, that's, that's more. Um. <laughs> there it is. There it is. <laughs> um, it's, it's such a funny thing because like, I feel like my relationship to my podcast is weird. I try really hard not to define too much or put too much pressure on, on what it should be. Um, I, I, I try to let it have its own flow. Um, but I think like ultimately what, what I'm doing is I'm exploring the concepts behind happiness, exploring psychological tools that have helped me and other people to get out of, you know, like, you know, I just kind of told parts of my story and, you know, that's not even all of the stuff. Um, and yet I'm one of the happiest people I know. And it's like, why is that? And how can I help other people to find that too? And I never know what information is relevant. Like we never do, right. We never know what it is that we're doing right. So I figure talk to as many people as I can about as many topics that, that loosely or, or, specifically fit happiness and hopefully people can pick up pieces that will create that happiness for themselves or at least um find it you know yeah for sure i, I was on your podcast episode five best episode yeah, you, you got and um, <laughs> i i loved the concept you know let's just talk about you know what you're passionate about i suppose and that's what we did and of course i'm passionate about language as a language teacher mm -hmm. um, and we kind of got into some deep stuff with how language does affect happiness or if it doesn't, you know, and how it, you know, changes uh, your perspective on things, different words in different cultures, you know, have different Absolutely. strengths and whatnot. And so I, I really appreciated my time on your podcast. Uh, it was a really good time actually. So and I really yeah. appreciate you having me on. I, no problem. I He's so enjoy that too. Right now, that's all. <laughs> <laughs> um, I so, <laughs> I do so bad with razzing. Uh, <laughs> um, it's 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 one of my favorite episodes too and unfortunately it's one of the episodes that i edited which means that the sound <laughs> is garbage uh, <laughs> and i've been meaning to um get out that old computer that i did it on and ask caldy really really nicely if he wants to edit some old episodes uh, <laughs> because i really enjoyed that too and i think that you know like that's the thing is something like language people don't think about that as being related to happiness you know people people i think people I don't know if the right word is take for granted the number of factors that play into our sense of well-being and our sense of joy. And it can be something tiny. And, you know, we're kind of trained in this world to dismiss, you know, and to not analyze and don't be an overthinker and don't be, you know, don't be so obsessive and stuff like that. Well, 
fuck that. I mean, if it's if it's something that makes your life better, then be obsessive. You know, try and find the answer. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think it's a great podcast and uh, certainly we're hoping that everybody that's listening right now, if they haven't already checked it out, that they would go and and give it a, a try. I think it's fantastic for sure. And definitely um, start out with episode five. I mean, <laughs> and for what it's worth, <laughs> I've been wanting to ask Omar on and just haven't yet. <laughs> and now I feel awkward about it because he razzed me about it. And now it no, I was, like giving, because I was I giving Chris shit, shit because he was rubbing <laughs> it in. He just kept going on and on and on about how he got to be on your episode. I'm just like... <laughs> Sure, we, she likes you better. That's fine. <laughs> we have a question from one of our uh, former cast members, I guess. Andy Gillis is asking, Kara, how do you recommend getting off the hamster wheel of negativity? Ooh, that's a great question. Um, also, hi, Andy. I've been thinking about you, and I've been wondering where you are. Um, so We have, too. Yeah, yeah. Just, we just have a t-shirt design that's where's Andy looks like Waldo. <laughs> um, but, uh, but that's a really good question. And I think that the answer varies for every person. But one of the ways that I would recommend to start is if you're someone who uses social media a lot, and I, I'm including Reddit and some of the more obscure anonymous social medias. Parlor for Andy. <laughs> um, whatever, <laughs> I thought that was shut down. <laughs> whatever, whatever social media you use or whatever news media you consume is pepper in some things that interest you, remind you of the light in the world. So if you're someone who's really into octopi, um, you know, follow some octopus subreddits or some pages on Facebook and, and, and pepper it in slowly so it doesn't feel overwhelming. And before you know it, you know, your preferences change to that and you're seeing a lot more light in the world. And that you know, you're not going to like, there's always going to be negative in the world and it does no one any favors and it fixes nothing by putting your energy there. So just find ways to subtly bring your attention to the positive things. And that gives you the energy to actually make positive change. I think that's a really cool suggestion actually. Yeah. It's yeah. like different than I, than what I've heard, but I, I really like that. <laughs> I think that's kind of what I've been doing for myself and in an attempt to not be so depressed. It's not working very well because you can ask Omar, I'm having some freak out moments, but. <laughs> well, and I mean, but, that's, that's, that's okay. I mean, I, mean, I think everyone's freaking out in 2021 man, or trying not to it just feels like everybody's a little bit more on edge. This, you know, more so than not. Well, and for some unsolicited advice that is unsolicited. Um, Go for it. <clears throat> I would say the biggest thing is to be kind to yourself and remember that shitty things while shitty are something that you ride out and it's okay to feel shitty. It's okay to be, you know, the, the worst, not the worst, the most harmful thing that you're going to do when you feel shitty is to constantly deride yourself for it and tell yourself, I can't even be happy. I'm such a piece of shit. You know, my kids don't even get to see me happy, blah, blah, blah. The whole, the whole intrusive thoughts bullshit is just go, you know what? Those are thoughts that my brain has been trained to think and that's okay. But really I want to be kind to myself, you know, for everyone's sake. That's good. That's really good. And I think, and that so you're, you have like four master degrees to get to that point, right? <laughs> Sorry, go ahead, Omar. <laughs> no, Sorry, no. I wasn't trying to be like over. No, oh. I think it's awesome. I think that's great <laughs> advice. I was just going to say, with uh, a message like that, I mean, I definitely want to funnel people towards your podcast. And as you're describing kind of just the feel of what you do um, and not really wanting to be boxed into a certain, like, well, this is like, you know, put like, walls up around like uh who you are it's i think 
we understand that at Fade to Gray because it's more of a conversational type of podcast. It's something where you're you're allowing the story to kind of create create its own path or its own own way. Um, and so I I love what you're doing and um, and have very sound advice you know, as far as just loving yourself and um, and I think everybody is on some sort of conquest of bliss, whether they uh, know it or not. So, um, Omar is just trying point. to butter you up to get on your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you should I have really, him on to talk marijuana. He, I, I really that, appreciate it. And actually, I just recently yeah. had someone on to talk about psychedelic assisted therapy, um, who's in uh, university for for related subjects. Is it like so we'll, we'll find. Uh, well, microdosing or macro dosing, uh, <laughs> uh, but specifically we were talking about acid and mushrooms and stuff, um, as well as marijuana. Her, her boyfriend uh, goes to school for cannabis studies, which I didn't know was a thing. Oh, um, That's cool. So in Mexico, so, <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> for, um, for the but, cartel. <laughs> I really, uh, I really do um, want to have Omar and Elizabeth if she wants to on. I've never had sure. before. Um, and yeah, when it, oh, I don't know why I'm saying this publicly, sorry guys, but when it comes to subject, if there's a subject you're passionate about, that's awesome. And as I always tell my guests, if there's not, the conversation always finds itself. So, yeah, well, I love it. And, uh, yeah, everyone, where can they find you? Like, obviously you're on social media. Do you want to tell them like how to get a hold of you or is that private? Uh, very private. I don't actually want anyone to ever find me. Um, no, I'm like super, like I will add you and I won't delete you until you creep in my DM. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> note to yourself. <laughs> um, so I'm Kara Fernstrom on Facebook. I am the conquest of B1 on Twitter because I don't know how to Twitter. I am probably the conquest of bliss on Instagram. Um, and I'm the conquest of bliss on Facebook as well. If you're just looking to follow the podcast and not uh, my wholesome meme feed. Um, <laughs> and, and, uh, yeah, um, it's the conquest of bliss at gmail.com. And if you want to find, uh, some stuff on my website, it's artstrom digital media.com artstrom, A R T S T R O M digital media.com. Um, please, uh, I shouldn't say that if you wanted to ask me for commissions, you could, but I might not take them because I'm like, really not sure what I'm doing with the whole art thing. So it was like, maybe just, just pay attention to the podcast or become a Patreon <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, and I have a Patreon. Duh. Shit, I'm so bad at this. Um, <laughs> so on Patreon, it's the conquest of bliss. <laughs> hey, how do you feel about Seth uh, taking a hookup with some dude on Grinder instead of being here tonight? I feel no, like if that's what he needs to do, that's what he needs to do. <laughs> I'm kidding. That's it's not okay. What Maybe he's touch starved. <laughs> his, we love Seth. In fact, give him love. Um, his cat just passed away yesterday so he's 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 had i'm so sorry about manelli and i uh i also love seth and yeah i was hoping he'd be here as well but you know that's also a little greedy so (laughs) he's watching i think i think he's watching anyway yeah it's been been great i mean learned so much you know now we all know how to do crack or don't do crack you know yeah and, well, um, i didn't give explicit instructions i did i did give really explicit did. instructions you got, on talking yeah, you did, got <laughs> you did. Um, and, uh, it, i did great. learn a little bit about that and i used to work at a drug and alcohol rehab center so <laughs> i thought i heard it all <laughs> oh my face goes so red um 
but it, it was right. a great conversation. Thanks for your openness. Thanks for your honesty. Um, a lot of fun. Check out Conquest First. Uh, you say artstrom.com and uh, artstromdigital.com. Oh, it's Arts not Artstrom Digital Media. I gave the wrong fucking address. Artstromdigital.com. <laughs> <laughs> we'll make sure it's in the show notes. They'll okay. get it. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Uh, we're off live, I think. Did I end it? You did. Yep. You okay, did. Good. Um, well done. Good job, guys. Lord. Thank I had to you check guys. On the kids a couple of times. The first time I checked on the kids, I came back and I'm like, wow, this is a <laughs> detailed description of smoking crap. I don't know what just happened here. Like, but, um, I leave for one minute. <laughs> <laughs> I was just curious. I, I don't, you know, I thought I, don't know the difference I was between expecting fair, like, maybe fair. like some like names and like numbers. Like, yeah, you go ahead, hit up my homie uh, Butterfly. <laughs> <laughs> oh man prices you know <laughs> well i just i get really excited when i can teach people about things yeah no this is fantastic kara thank you very much for your time and for coming on obviously it's like i said long overdue so we're yeah so well i hope nothing shocked you guys too much i feel like most of that is stuff you guys knew yeah no i don't i wasn't shocked yeah. i was enthralled with the conversation but i wasn't shocked yeah. Yeah, no. I was shocked Elizabeth was asking more details about the uncle fucker. I was actually I mean, super stoked that Elizabeth was talking. She did a lot of talking <laughs> on this episode. Yeah. Yes. Congratulations. Great. Thanks. <laughs> I'm Thanks very glad that. that Elizabeth was on here too, because you just you've got really pretty eyes and you look up and you look like a deer and it makes me feel more comfortable. Aw. <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> My aunt called them ET eyes, so it's ET. A deer is better than ET. I yeah, think. deers are so cute. Yeah. They're like, you know, <laughs> or like a Disney princess. Like if you use the Snapchat filter, it probably wouldn't even change your face. Um. <laughs> That's funny. Uh.